If you've got a Bible, you go and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be there uh, tonight. And uh, we finished up our Q&A series uh, last week. I finally did determine that we were done with it. <laughs> um, and uh, just as an addendum to that, I know there were a few questions that maybe some of you guys submitted um, that did not get answered. And uh, a lot of them had to do with the end times. You guys are really into eschatology, apparently. And so I didn't answer any of those because if you go to YouTube and look up Alberta Baptist Church College Ministry, or ABC College Ministry, excuse me. We did a whole summer theology series last summer where I answered pretty much any question that I want to answer about theology. <laughs> and so not all of them, um, but there's a lot of that on there. There were, I think, two whole weeks about the end times. And so if you have questions about that, just go, wa- go watch those videos. And so uh, I can give you all the answers I would give you anyway on there. And so so we skipped those questions, but, but yeah, we wrapped up our series. So we're, we're done with that and it's hard to believe, um, but tonight actually will be my last message as the college pastor here at ABC because next week um, we have our senior panel of our graduating seniors uh, that we'll get to share and then, and then we're done because then it's finals week and we'll do study nights again. For those of you that remember that, we're going to have the three P's of finals of pancakes, potatoes, and pizza. During that, we'll talk more about that as we get close. You can come and have some dinner here during finals week. Um, but this is our last normal Wednesday night of the semester, and for me, finishing here as college pastor, transitioning to BCM, uh, this will be it for me in terms of my last message to give you guys, and that makes me sad. Um, but like I've already said, I'm not going anywhere. Um, me and my family are not going anywhere else. We're going to still be here at ABC as members, and I'm going to be on campus at the BCM, so we'll still see you guys a lot. And I, I highly doubt this will be the last time I speak to you guys at a college gathering um, we're still working out the details of that, but it will def- definitely be my last time as the college pastor speaking. And so what I wanted to do tonight to kind of wrap up the semester and um, so, even for my own closure, wrap up our time this year is I want to give a little bit of a charge kind of last message to you guys as college pastor at ABC. And so that's what we're going to do tonight um, in the book of Second Timothy chapter 1. And so uh, we're going to start there. If you know much about uh, the book of 2 Timothy, if you were with us for our first Timothy series, you heard a little bit about the background. But you know that the book of 2 Timothy is Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy, who he's left in the city of Ephesus to lead a really difficult church there. Um, and he is really kind of speaking a lot of words of encouragement into Timothy during this time. Paul has mentored Timothy a whole bunch. He trusts him um, immensely in ministry. But the book of 2 Timothy, Timothy is interesting because it's actually the last um, letter that Paul wrote before he died, at least the last one that we have, um, that he's writing the book of 2 Timothy from prison in Rome about to be executed because he was, after 1 Timothy, Timothy was written at some point, he gets thrown in prison again and he gets executed and his life is over. He goes to be with the Lord. And so this is his last letter he writes. I don't plan on getting executed next week or anything, but I feel like the the idea of this last kind of uh, talk to someone fit the theme for tonight. So um, so I'm going to give you some, this kind of charges for tonight, but let's first read from 2 Timothy and then we'll get into this. Okay. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. This is what Paul says to Timothy. This is in in many ways what I say to you. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sheer in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within me, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for tonight. I'm thankful for another opportunity, really one more opportunity as college pastor here to uh, encourage these students in your word. I pray you would speak to our hearts so that you shape us all more into the image of your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've already kind of given you some of the background here uh, with the letter. But like I said, this is Paul's kind of last message to his apprentice, Timothy, a guy he's invested so much in and Paul's about to be executed and uh, be with the Lord. And so there's a lot of powerful stuff here. You think about somebody writing their last letter uh, before they know um, they're about to be gone from the earth, they're going to say some pretty important things, right? They're not really going to mince words that much. They're going to be pretty to the point. And especially with a guy like Timothy that Paul cared so much for, uh, we see Paul's heart really kind of pouring out in this letter. And so what I want to do is from what Paul says to Timothy, just kind of give you guys six uh, specific things that are can be kind of charges that I'm going to give you guys um, into the future, and really just for you, even right now as a student, but especially going into the future, six things I want to encourage you guys in and to do um, as we move forward. And so the, the first one is this, is uh, remember who is on your side. Remember who is on your side. Because if you look at Paul's letter, he first starts in the verses we looked at, looking back on his life and his relationship with Timothy. You see how thankful he was to be an apostle, thankful that the Lord had called him to that ministry. You get a real clear picture of how much he loved Timothy and how much Timothy loved him. In many ways, Timothy, uh, or so Paul was like the father that Timothy never had in many ways. That we know Timothy, his dad really wasn't in the picture very much based on what we learn of him in Acts. Um, and we get this idea that, that Paul trusted Timothy so much that he left him in charge of a super difficult situation in Ephesus, and he continued to pray for him, and he believed in him. And Paul even says he continuously prayed for Timothy, which I don't know what all that means, like if he prayed for him every hour, every day, but he was continual in his prayers for him. And then we see in those verses, not only does Paul look back, but also he looks forward to what God has in store for Timothy as well. Because if you know much um, about Timothy's situation in Ephesus, if you remember much from that series we did a few months ago, that church there was full of a lot of difficult stuff. And Timothy was facing a lot of poor leadership and bad theology and division and all kinds of stuff going on he had to face. And Paul knows that Timothy's going to need a, a lot of boldness and a lot of confidence as he goes forward to succeed there. So Paul gives him this kind of famous quote that we hear a lot um, about the spirit that has not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, love, and, and self-control. And a lot of times we read that phrase, and it's a, you know, a very cliche, not cliche, it's the Bible, but it's like a well-known uh, phrase in the church. But yet, I think sometimes we kind of miss what they're saying there, because if you read some of commentaries about that text, you'll find that a lot of guys say that we should really capitalize that S in spirit. That it's not, you know, God kind of gives us this general kind of characteristic or personality of power, love, and self-control. But really what God gives us is the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of power, love, 
and self-control. You could like kind of paraphrase it like this, that for when God gave us his spirit, it was not timidity that we received, but but power, love, and self-discipline. I think that makes a lot of sense. So what Paul's saying is that instead of being hesitant and shrinking back what God has called him to do, Paul is calling Timothy to depend on the Holy Spirit for what he has to do in the future, to depend on the power, love, and self-control provided by the Spirit. And those three words are really interesting. That, that word power is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the word like dynamic from, that it's an idea of power. It's a force to be reckoned with, that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability through him to make a real difference in the world, not in our own ability, but in his ability. That you think about Jesus, when he came to earth, he told his disciples that we would be able to do, or his disciples and therefore us, would be able to do even greater things than, than he ever did on earth. Which you're like, Jesus, how could we ever do more than, than what you did? Well, his point was is that Jesus is only one person in one context of time, even though he was fully God, fully man. But individual Christians filled by the Holy Spirit could do far more in quantity, ultimately, than Christ ever did even as one person on earth. It's a pretty incredible thing. So we have this power, but we also have love. That word is agape that you've probably heard before. Um, it's a idea of not just any kind of general emotional, sentimental love, but it's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that seeks to elevate the needs of somebody else above their own. It's not a love that seeks comfort and ease, but it seeks to lift other people up. It says, not my will, but God's will be done in the way that I love this person and love and a serve. It's that kind of love. And then thirdly, we receive self-control from the Holy Spirit, which is so important because honestly, many times I know in my own life, my own inability to sometimes control myself seems like it's my greatest enemy that like just fighting my own laziness and selfishness is many times my own uh, enemy and so but yet the spirit gives us this gift of self-control it's one of the fruit of the spirit right you sing the song and you get to self-control eventually that that's a gift that we receive from the spirit and that's all that's all great but it's interesting how paul compares that and contrasts it to the thing that you have fear or timidity And Florence Nightingale once said, uh, how very little can be done under the spirit of fear. That fear in in many ways is this kind of thing that cripples us. That when we give into fear and we focus more on what could go wrong and what bad could happen, instead of focusing on what God wants to do through us, the power of love and self-control he's given us, then we end up crippling ourselves. That, you know, you think about fear in many ways controls us in ways that is polar opposite to what power, love, and self-control would, would do. That would give us the ability to be controlled more by God's spirit and what he wants for us. But fear, in a way, also controls us and cripples us and has a power on us. And so if you're thinking about this in terms of how we obey today, think about like if, if you want to share the gospel with your roommate, if you want to go on a mission trip, or if you want to you know, confess sin to a friend that you need to confess because you want to break free of it, all that stuff requires power, love, and self-control it requires you to not focus on all the ways that that could go wrong, all the, all the bad things that could happen, but it instead focus, uh, forces you to focus on the Holy Spirit and his power in you, his love working within you, his um, self-control that's given to you through the Spirit. And so the first thing I want you to know as we go through this tonight is know this, that, that I believe in you guys. That, that I love you guys. I love this ministry. I've, I've served here for seven years, um, and I'm so just thankful for my time here on staff. And I know that you know none of y'all were here when I started because you'd be in college for a long time if you had been here when I started. But it's been uh, just so amazing to see what God has done in this ministry and in this church over the time um, that I've been on staff here. And, and I really believe in you guys. I believe in the future of this church. I mean, we're 
going to be part of this church still, but this, even this ministry, I believe in this ministry and what God wants to do through it. I believe that God wants to keep doing incredible things through this ministry, and I will continue to pray for it and support it, and in some capacity, hopefully be able to serve and be involved in some ways. But the end thing is that ultimately, you guys, you guys don't need me. Y'all don't need me. What you need is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is already readily available to you. That the Holy Spirit has given you the spirit of power, love, and self-control. That moving forward in the, in the future, that God is going to do incredible things with his ministry if you rely not on your own self, but on the spirit and what he wants to do through you. That you seek the power, love, and self-discipline that is readily available to you. And so I trust and I pray that God's going to do great things and incredible things for his glory through you guys. And I believe in you and the spirit is empowering you and wants to do great things as well. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to point out is this, is is don't be ashamed. We see this in verse eight when Paul says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, normally when you read a verse in the Bible about not being ashamed, you probably, if you're like me, you think about persecution, you think about someone being like held at gunpoint for you know being a Christian and like, hey, either renounce Jesus or or you get shot, you know. And we think about this kind of fork in the road moment of like, are you ashamed of Christ or are you not? Maybe I'm dramatic. Maybe I'm the only one thinks about that, you know. But we tend to think maybe in big ways sometimes. But while that definitely happens to some people in the world, um, not too much in America, but. Whether that happens here or not, what definitely happens is that many times we have our own ways that we can end up being ashamed of our faith. That it may not be a live or die kind of situation that happens, but for us, more often we can be ashamed of our faith just by trying to blend in and not be uh, not stand out for our faith more than anything. That ashamed may not be I'm like publicly de- not publicly denying Jesus in front of people or something, but to be ashamed can be that we simply try to blend in. We try not to stand out much for Jesus. That we we say we love Jesus, but we kind of just want to keep that to ourselves. You know, maybe just keep our faith personal, keep it private, and not something that we really have to identify with a whole bunch with a lot of people. But the thing is, is that to be a Christian literally is to be identified with Jesus. Like the the word Christian literally means little Christ, right? And so to be a Christian means that we are called to be identified with Christ. And we all have daily chances to be identified with him. It could be talking about your faith, or it could be in a way that you live differently because of your faith. It could be maybe what you don't do that chooses to identify you with Jesus. But when we intentionally choose to sin or to do something that God calls us to not do, or you know, if we intentionally choose to say, I'm, I'm not, I have nothing to do with that Jesus guy, which probably isn't our temptation. But when we choose to sin, we end up actively many times being ashamed of our faith as we disobey God and we choose to live in a way he called us not to. So that's even a way to be ashamed of our faith as well. And there's a reason that Jesus called us to be the light of the world, right? To be a city on, on a hill. It's because we're meant to clearly live and not be ashamed of the gospel and our faith, but to clearly live to show who Jesus is and what he's done. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done in your life. If you wanna see God continue to do great things in and through your life and in and through this ministry, if we wanna see people keep coming to know Jesus at this church, we gotta be willing to not be ashamed. We gotta be willing to be different and we gotta be willing to say that Jesus is the one that makes a difference. We gotta be willing to speak the name of Jesus into those situations. So don't be ashamed. The third thing is this, is to remember the gospel. And we see this in verses nine and 10 when Paul says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
So I love these verses because it's really an incredible picture of the gospel. It's an incredible description that Paul has lots of them all throughout his letters, but I love this one. It's funny that you think about like Paul saying this here, because think about who Timothy is. Like he's a seasoned pastor, right? He's a guy who knows the gospel well. He's not a guy who's a newbie in theology. He's definitely not an unbeliever, right? He's a guy who knows the gospel really, really well. He could probably write his own elaborate, awesome statements about what the gospel is. But, but why would Paul spend so much time right here uh, unpacking what the gospel is? Well, I think two reasons. Number one, he knows that this letter is gonna be read to more than just Timothy. It's gonna be read in the church. But I think more importantly, he knows that Timothy still needs the gospel, that Timothy hasn't graduated from the gospel, that he hasn't moved on from it, but Timothy needs to know and hear the gospel message again. Because for all of us, we never move past the gospel. We never graduate past it. It has to be the source of everything in our faith. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, loves to say that the gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Z of Christianity. That in many ways, it's not just like the diving board that we jump into the pool with. It's the very water we swim in in the pool. That the gospel has to be the, the root of everything we do, of all of our obedience, all of our motivation. Everything in, in the Christian faith is always rooted in the gospel. So we have to keep going back to it over and over again. If we're struggling with obedience, we gotta go back to the gospel. If we're struggling for our, with our love for Jesus, we gotta go back to the gospel. If we're struggling to love the church and deal with the church, we gotta go back to the gospel. That everything we do has to always be rooted in, in the gospel. So what I want you to remember is this, is that like Paul expresses here, more than anything, the most important thing about you is that you're a child of God. The most important thing about you, rather than anything else, is that you are a child of God. The, the world's always gonna be trying to offer you different ways to define yourself, you know, that you're a good student, you're, you're successful, you're influential, you get older, you, you have beautiful kids, a beautiful family, you have a great, a nice car, a, a nice house, all these things. The world is always trying to pin these different identity markers on you and make you measure up to these different standards. And there's nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but when those become part of our identity, when they become how we define who we are, they're always gonna leave us empty and unfulfilled and broken and disappointed because you, you make even something as good as like marriage or kids, if you make them an idol, make, they make terrible gods. They make terrible things to make your life about work, the same thing, school, the same thing. Right, they're good things from God, but we make them ultimate. They're gonna, they're gonna fail us. They're gonna disappoint us. They're gonna leave us brokenhearted. But if you're a Christian, your identity as a child of God will never let you down, will never disappoint you. And it's gonna sustain you even when you start failing by all the other standards of the world, if you do. <laughs> even when you don't measure up to all the other things that the world says make you successful and make you matter in the world, Ultimately, your identity as a child of God is gonna be the real thing that sustains you, the real thing that gives you meaning and purpose and fulfillment and gives you buoyancy in the waves that, that crash over you as you go through life. Because our identity in Christ, if we keep focused on that, is gonna keep us focused on who we really are and also what really matters in life and really what we should be spending our time and our energy on. So remember the gospel, the gospel truth that in Christ, there's no good you could ever do to make God love you more there's no bad you've ever done that can make God love you less. There's no good you've ever done that can make God love you more. No bad you've ever done that can make God love you any less. Because God's love for you is not fixed on you because of what you've done, whether good or bad. God's love for you is based on what Christ has done for you. That's the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 would say us that for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Christ became sin for us so that we could become God's righteousness so that we could be loved by God and accepted by him, not based on our performance, 
not by how well we measure up to any given standard in the world, not how we, even how well we measure up to our own standards in our own hearts, but instead it's based on what Christ has done for you, his ultimate standard of perfection, obedience, his death in your place, his resurrection for your victory, all these things we got to remember. Because if, if you drift from that, if you start drifting from the gospel, which is what Paul's reminding Timothy of here, if you start drifting from it, you'll do one of two things. You'll either start to pretend that you're measuring up and that you've got it all together even when you don't and you're gonna be hollow and empty and feel jaded and cynical. Or instead of pretending, you're gonna perform and you're gonna think, yeah, I really gotta measure up to God's standards. If I don't read my Bible every day and pray for 15 minutes, God's not, he didn't love me anymore. He's disappointed with me. He, he doesn't like me. And so I'm, I'm not measuring up to that standard. If you sin and struggle with a certain way, you're gonna feel like you gotta, you're gonna get pushed away from God. I can't go back to God because I messed up again. He loves me based on my performance. And so therefore I can't pray to God anymore because God's disappointed with me. You see how those two things work? Either pretend or you perform. And neither of those are proper responses to the gospel. And I guess a third one, you could be either you pretend or you perform or you panic <laughs> to where you think, man, like I'm just so jacked up. What do I do? Like you despair of, of who you are <laughs> and you don't know what to do. You think God hates you. You're lost with your lost cause. You think that. But all those things are a improper response to the gospel. But instead, our proper response is to, to rest in it, to rest in it. Let, it. let it be our identity and to trust what Jesus has done for us and let that become the defining characteristic of of who we are. Because the the deeper that you delight in Christ's love for you in the gospel, the easier it will be for you to obey him. The easier it will be for you to freely give your life away for Jesus, the more clearly you have a picture of what he's done for you. Um, J.D. Greer loves to say um, in one of his gospel prayers that we should measure God's love by the cross and his power by the resurrection that his love for the cross, the extent he went, and his power in our life by him raising Jesus from the dead. We gotta keep those gospel truths rooted in our hearts if we're gonna be faithful, if you're gonna stay faithful to, to Jesus. So don't forget the gospel. Fourthly, pursue your calling. Paul mentions this in verse 11 when he talks about how he was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Because um, that was specifically Paul's calling. No, no one today is called to be an apostle. <laughs> that was the thing that ended. You had, to be, you had to be appointed as an apostle by Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ. No one here has met the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. But Paul's calling was those specific things. And we know from his life that he ran after that calling with everything he had. Right? He gave his life for it. That Second Timothy is written because um, Paul was about to die giving his life for his calling to follow Jesus. And really for all of us as Christians, we all have one calling. It's to know Jesus and to make him known in the world. To know Christ and make him known. It gets expressed in all kinds of different ways in the Bible that you know, we're called to love God with everything and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to make disciples of all nations, right? And go and, and baptize and teach. All these ways that we seek to know God in a relationship with him and then we seek to make him known in the world. So that's your calling as a Christian. That's your ultimate thing that you're about. But then we all have different ways that we have to apply that to our lives. Everyone in here has different passions. Everyone has different interests. You all have different ways that you're thinking about spending your life in different ways. We all have to figure out the way that we call, that we apply this calling of making disciples and loving God and loving our neighbor. We all have to figure out how that works in our life on our own. So I wanna encourage you that instead of simply taking the easy path in life, I wanna encourage you to really ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life? Like, 
I, I mentioned a few weeks ago at, at a BCM talk I did, like writing the, the blank check to God, that many times we want to offer God gift cards, many times of certain limited things that, yeah, God, you can have access to this. You have access to my Sunday morning and my Wednesday night, and you have access to, you know, these specific things, but you don't have access to my dating life. You don't have access to the way I'm going to choose to spend my career. You don't have access to these other things. And that's not the way God calls us to work in relationship with him. God wants the blank check, the unlimited access to our life. And that's what he wants us to do even with, with our calling. Because I think many times we kind of go through the motions of whatever we want to do in life and we kind of decide, oh yeah, I'll do these things in life and God, will you just take my plans and bless them? Like we're not going to bring my, I'm not going to bring my faith into the conversation. I'm just going to ask God to bless whatever I want to do and call it God's will. And now many times God's will may line up with what you want to do, but too little, we don't ever bring it to God and ask the question, God, what do you really want to do in my life? What do you really want to do with my life? Because sometimes God's going to say, keep doing what you're doing. Be a teacher, be an engineer, be a nurse, keep doing that. But sometimes I think we don't really ever bring God into the conversation. We just kind of go on what we want to do. So I want to encourage you guys, bring God into that conversation. He wants to have that conversation with you. Don't plan God out of your life, but pray and seek him and ask him what he's calling you to. And if he has something more specific, he'll make it clear to you. He may just kind of say, all right, keep on going. You know, he may not give you a lightning in the sky kind of moment. It may be more of a just affirmation of, no, just make disciples in the way that you're, what you're majoring in right now. Make disciples in the career you're going to pursue. Make disciples in the places I place you right now. It doesn't mean he's going to call you to, you know, pack up and move to Africa tomorrow. But we want to bring God into the conversation. I think too often we don't. Too often we just kind of go about our own way. So I want to encourage you, pursue your calling. Pursue your calling and, and ask God, God, what do you want to do in my life? Number five, I want to encourage you to live in light of eternity. We see this, this, is, this in verse 12. Paul says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So in this letter, like I said, Paul is reaching the end of his life. He's, he's there. And he's looking back and he's thinking about how God has been so faithful to him in his ministry. And he knows that God is going to keep being faithful until the end. You know, that Paul in really many ways in this passage is kind of, he's handing over the teaching of the gospel to people like Timothy and to other church leaders that he's discipled. He's saying, hey, here's the baton. My time is done here. Here, it's your turn now. But if you notice, Paul's confidence here isn't ultimately in people. His confidence is in God who promised to get the gospel to the end of the earth. It's God who promises to never forsake us or leave us, that God never breaks his promises. And so God's, uh, Paul's confidence ultimately here is not in the people he's speaking to, but it's in God and his work through those people. So even as Paul faces death though, he looks even past his death that's coming and he looks to eternity that he has with God. And that's what he says when he says um, to guard until that day. That day there he's talking about is the day that Christ returns. The day that Christ returns, and like we talked about Sunday, raises the dead to life and begins eternity in the new creation. And on that day, Paul knows he's going to stand before God and he's going to give an account for his life. He's going to give an account for what he's done with what God gave him. And that kind of perspective is so important. I feel like this has been like a theme of my ministry and my speaking is that we need to live in light of eternity because the billions of years we're going to have with the Lord are just so massive compared to the 40, 50, 60, well, the 70, 80 years that we're going to have in this world. That so often we get focused just on the you know, 80, 90 years maybe we have on this earth and we neglect the billions upon billions upon billions of years we're going to be with the Lord. And so we got to live in light of that. Uh, a quote I love is Martin Luther. He once said that there are two days in my calendar 
There's this day and that day. And the second day having a capital D. There's this day, as in today, and then there's that day. That for him, he was saying that he lived in light of eternity every day, that every day he lived and asked, how does this day and how am I gonna use this day today to leverage for eternity, to make a difference in the capital D day when Christ returns and eternity begins. So living today in light of that day. And that's a sobering question to ask. It really is. It's something that I've wrestled with for years in my own life. And that doesn't mean that you have to give up everything that doesn't seem spiritual. Doesn't mean that you should quit your job and go be like that guy that he's awesome, but the guy that stands on the uh, Bojangles street corner and holds up the sign that says, Jesus loves you, you know, um, or Jesus will save you. He's awesome. I love that guy. That's his calling. Doesn't mean we all have to do that. <laughs> Doesn't mean that's the, all of our callings necessarily. You, you got to go to class probably. You got to go to work. You got to go on with life, but it does mean that we have to do all of those things to, um, we have to do all those things in light of eternity, that we go to class in light of eternity. We, we, work, we have relationships, we interact with our family, that we do all these things in light of eternity because that's what we truly should be focused on and living for. But it's so easy many times to get distracted by the day-to-day. I know how this works. You, know, you get focused on classes and, and, and work and homework that's due, the project that's due, that meeting you forgot about, that girl you wanna ask out, that person you're trying to hang out with, all these different things that are just like so ever-present in our minds that grab our attention. But one of the things that I've learned is this, is that while the days are long, the semesters are short. While the days are long, the semesters are short. That They may feel tiring, it may feel long, like it's never gonna end, but before you know it, the semester's flown by and it's finals week in two weeks, you know? Or before you know it, the days feel stressful and long, but before you know it, you're about to graduate and you've got a job lined up you're about to go do. Or the days are long, and before you know it, you're 33 and you're married and have a kid. And it feels like yesterday you were in college. You know, like the days are long, but the months and the years are short, that it flies by. That sounds like such an old man thing to say, but it's true. And I think the older you get, the more you realize it, and you really can't until then. But we gotta realize that we're only promised today, that we're in no way promised tomorrow. If we wanna make a change in our life, we gotta do it today. If, we, if you wanna live boldly for Christ, you gotta do it today. It can't just happen tomorrow, it has to happen now. So let's stop putting off the calling that God has in our lives to make disciples, that we've been given power through the Holy Spirit like we saw here. So let's start living boldly for Jesus today because tomorrow's not promised. It's not promised. That you only really get one college experience. It's here and then it's gone. So take full advantage of the season that you're in. Go on mission trips. Do summer missions, you know, serve at a camp, volunteer with that organization, you know, befriend an international student and share the gospel with them. All these things are only things that you get during this season. So don't waste it. Make the most of it because before you know it, it's gonna be gone and we have to do all these things with eternal intentionality because we're living every day in light of eternity. We're not promised tomorrow. So that's number five. And then number six is, is guard the deposit. We see this in verses 13 and 14 that Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound works that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So lastly, Paul is saying here that he's worked hard to teach and live as an example to Timothy. And now he's basically saying, Timothy, it's your turn. I'm handing off the baton to you, so run with it. That Paul has spent years investing in Timothy, and now it's Timothy's turn to turn around and then make that investment in somebody else. Uh, A few verses later in chapter 2, Paul's gonna say this to Timothy. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love that because if you think about that text, there's really 
four generations of disciple makers in that. That you've got Paul, you've got Timothy, you've got the faithful men that he's investing in, and then those faithful men are also supposed to then teach others also. So there's four generations that are, that are present here. And so Paul's saying it's Timothy's time now to invest in other people so that they can then turn around and do the same. And one of the cool things that I've, I've loved about um, here at this church and just in general in college ministry is to see generations of disciples at our church that even now I can point to different people here in this room and say, yeah, I know you had a relationship with so-and-so who had a relationship with so-and-so who invested in them and trace it all the way back to when I first began here at the church. There's like this legacy and lineage of people who have invested in other students who have then turned around and done the same thing for other students. And there's this kind of just the disciple-making process that happens, which is really what's supposed to happen in the church. But I wanna ask you guys, who are you investing in? Who is the person you're investing in that who can then turn around and also disciple somebody else? That the church is never meant to be just this thing where you have a couple of people who can get up and speak and, and, and sound really smart and stuff up front. Everybody else is like, oh yeah, they're so great. And then we go home or we eat lunch and then we come back next week and we're just entertained by them. The church is always meant to be a multiplication factory to where we have disciples who are investing in each other to where then those people can turn around and invest in other people. That it's way more about relationships and multiplication than it is simply as one person doing all the work. You know, if you've heard the thing before that if you could receive like a dollar a day for the rest of your life, or you could like take a dollar and then double it every day for like so many years, you want to take the, the multiplication one. I can't remember all the math about it, but you want to take the one that multiplies because after just a few years, it's like exponentially larger than just getting the same amount just by that addition. That multiplication always beats addition every time. And it's the same way in the church that we're called as disciples to be investing and multiplying and not simply thinking that one person or a few people are gonna do all the work. So I wanna encourage you, who's someone that God may be calling you to invest your life in? And maybe someone that doesn't know Jesus right now. Maybe a classmate, a roommate, a friend, a family member that God's calling you to share the gospel with them. It may be someone here in this room that you're like, man, I really want to spend some more time with them and help them grow spiritually, invest in them, and even like not be the professional, but just be like, hey, let's follow Jesus together and grow together. And then after a while, maybe we can find some other people to do the same thing with. So who are someone, who's someone or some people that you are investing in? Because if we're gonna see this ministry continue to thrive and grow and be what God wants it to be here and on campus, it's gotta be a ministry of multiplication, not a ministry of one or just a few people doing all the work and being up front. It's gotta be multiplication. So I wanna ask you, who are you investing in? That's how the church is meant to grow. That's how it's meant to grow. So as we begin to finish up, I just wanna say, you know, over the years I've been here, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like I've worked hard to teach you guys the gospel and to the best of my ability to, to live out the gospel in front of you. I haven't done it perfectly <laughs> in any way, um, but I feel like I've done my best. And so as Paul says here at the end, you know, this is my deposit in your life. What are you gonna do with it? You know, that it, I've, I've, I've given you what I can <laughs> in some ways. And like I said, we're not going anywhere. We're still gonna be around. We still, wanna, we still wanna be connected with you and have relationship with you. And please, we're gonna like chase you down if you don't talk to us at church and stuff. That'd be weird. Um, so like we wanna be, be very much involved in your life, but we're transitioning to a different season of ministry at BCM. So in terms of my role here as college pastor, this is my deposit. So my question is, what are you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with it? Because I'm, I'm really excited about what God has for this ministry in the future. I'm looking forward to the years to come and see God just do amazing things. Gonna be praying for y'all. Um, but this is my deposit. And so what are you gonna do with it? Um, but like I said, super thankful for you guys. Um, we in no way don't wanna be involved in your life uh, anyway. We're gonna be around, I'm gonna be serving. You're probably gonna hear from me again um, uh, on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night um, every now and then. So definitely not leaving in any way, but just switching into a different role in ministry. Um, but we wanna stay connected 
Um, but tonight, I want to give you these, these charges. So one more time, sort of remind you the things I want you to remember. Is that first off, remember who's on your side. Remember, you have access to the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you. Number two, don't be ashamed of the gospel, but live boldly for Christ. Live in a way that identifies your life with Jesus. Three, don't forget the gospel. Don't graduate from the gospel because we can't. It's got to be the source of our faith in life. Number four, pursue your calling. Ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, where are you leading me? Where are you calling me? I don't want to just kind of autopilot my way through life. I want to ask you, what are you doing? What do you, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Number five, live in light of eternity. Live in light of that day. Live in light of the fact that we're not promised tomorrow. And then lastly, guard the deposit. That I know I'm just one of many people that's probably invested in your life and hopefully many that will invest in your life in the future. But we are always blessed to be a blessing. We're always invested in to invest in somebody else. So who are you gonna invest in given what you have received? All right, I love you guys. I got a few questions for you to talk about here at the table and then um, we'll be done. But I wanna pray for us real quick and then we'll wrap up. Father, I thank you, thank you so much for um, this season of ministry here at Alberta Baptist Church and thankful for that. Uh, so good to be, get to be a part of this church and, and continue to see God do great things in this ministry and in, and in some ways get to still serve alongside these students. Um, but Lord, I pray for them and here as they wrap up the semester, I know they're tired. I know that um, they're just really ready to be done with things for the spring, but I pray even as they get to the end of the semester, they would be willing to wrestle and ask the questions of really, what are you calling them to? What do you want to do in and through their life? What are they making their life about? And maybe even as they're in a season of transition and maybe even looking at the year and how fast it feels like it's maybe gone or maybe how slow it feels like it's gone, that they would ask, God, what do you want me to do? Where are you leading me? What am I making my life about? Because it's those kind of questions that can take us to some great answers if we are willing to live open-handedly in front of you. So Father, I pray blessings over these students. I pray that you would give them energy and focus to finish this semester strong. I pray that you'd help them to never graduate from the gospel, but continue to go back to it over and over again, that so much fruit would take place in their life as they delight in you. And as they rejoice in you, as they make you their treasure, that so much fruit would spring up of obedience, of people coming to Christ, of this ministry growing for your glory, not for any of our glory, Father. So I pray blessings and we want to see you do great things. I pray that you would use them. I pray you'd even use the conversations at tables tonight, Father, as a way to sharpen, as a way to encourage. Lord, we love you. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.